Today's scripture reading comes from Isaiah 1, 3 and Luke 2, 12 through 16. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. This is the word of the Lord. Merry early Christmas. Well, we are, uh, our home meetings are taking a break for the rest of Advent uh, with uh, following the scripture passages, and so we're just coming and studying the coming of our Lord over the next few weeks. And today, with our lessons and carols, I want to look at the Lord being a sign for us. Our passage is that the Lord is a sign for us. And particularly the Lord as a baby in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, is a sign for us. And as I was thinking about it, my wife and I in particular were, were shaken and saddened by Sandy Hook Elementary shooting. And um, it's left everyone the same way, shaken, saddened, looking for a sign. President Obama had said, our hearts are broken today. And I know that there's not a parent in America who doesn't feel the overwhelming grief that I do. So the president, the families and friends of those children, and the other victims, and we want consolation. We want a sign. This is not different than the time that Jesus was born into. Simeon, we'd read a little bit later, was waiting for the consolation of Israel. You know that Israel, as God's people, had felt God's absence, his absolute absence for over 400 years. They were longing for him. They wondered where he was at. They were crying out for his presence. And they had, during that time, as they'd been taken over by various nations, they had faced and had to endure many slaughtering of infants, many of the slaughtering of their infants through these takeovers. You know that there are things called imprecatory psalms where the psalmist cries out, says, Lord, he's crying out for justice to the Lord, Lord, May their infants be dashed upon the rocks, even as they did that to our infants. So it's not different. And Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. And we're waiting for consolation. But what will that sign be? What's the sign that brings us consolation? And we're going to look at that today, the particular sign that God gives us for consolation. It's peculiar. It should strike you as peculiar. But it's his sign, and it's meant for us. It's meant for you. And this will be a sign for you, verse 12. We see it's not, it wasn't printed in uh, what we read for the passage here, but it was printed earlier when we had our lessons and carols and this passage was read in its fuller form. In verse 11, the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger is a sign for you that, you're, that you need a Savior. 
verse 11, it says that he's Savior. And then him being a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger is a sign that he is the Messiah, that he's the Lord. So he's a sign that he's the Savior. He's a sign that he's the Messiah and Lord. First, this baby that is born to us at this time that's written about, that is our consolation, that is our hope, is a sign that he's a Savior. Jesus arrives on the stage of Israel's drama at an hour when the nation has long been groaning under spiritual exile and bondage to foreign rule. Right? We understand what kind of Savior Jesus is, what kind of sign this is. We need to understand a little bit about the context of what Israel is groaning under. The angel declared in verse 11 that a Savior is born in the city of David. Now, Roman expectations regarding the Savior were different than the people of God's expectations. The Roman expectations for the day had, uh, were like this. There was an unspoken fact in Roman culture. The unspoken fact was that there was a Savior who was already enthroned in Rome, Caesar Augustus, whose monuments declare him Savior of the world. That's what were inscribed on the statues of him. He was to be the Savior. That was Roman culture. But Israel came, didn't take this as their understanding of Savior. They looked at their scriptures, the Bible that they read, the Bible that they held dear, the Word of God, the promises, the hope that they had. They looked at that. And against this backdrop, the anticipation of a Savior within Israel is fraught with danger because this would have been a political Savior. The hope of the day when Jesus is born on the scene was a political, a conquering Savior. We'll see in Luke's narrative as this unfolds that Zechariah, Zechariah speaks of a mighty Savior and of being saved from our enemies. So the concept of this Savior is a mighty Savior, saved from our enemies. Simeon, a little later, who's been looking for the consolation of Israel, thanks God that he has lived to see God's salvation in the face of the infant Jesus. Anna, the aged Anna rejoices over the child in the presence of all who are looking for redemption over Jerusalem. John the Baptist also speaks of a great judgment and renewal within Israel associated with the coming of the Lord. Luke summarizes John's activity with a biblical image of preparing a highway for the divine warrior so that all flesh shall see the salvation of God. We are not led to expect a Savior who will bring spiritual salvation. We're not led in those expectations of those people to expect a Savior who would be a spiritual sign. So, the Gospel writers reshape our expectations of who the Savior is and what He's done. The surprise is that Luke's Gospel defines the Savior in a way that reshapes Israel's expectation of salvation as well as our own. It reshapes the way that we think and look for a sign, the way that we want a sign, the way that we long for hope. The first thing to know is that this baby, this baby is to grow up to deliver Israel and all of the nations from the deepest dimensions of its plight, its spiritual state of sinfulness and bondage to Satan. Sinfulness and bondage to Satan. I was talking with a friend recently. You know what evil is? Evil is deprivation of good doesn't make sense to us in that way. It unsettles us in that way. 
It startles us in that way. I was thinking about the second Dark Knight movie with the Joker. What's so disturbing about this movie, to me at least, was that the Joker, that character, played a complete deprivation of good. There was no rhyme or reason. There was just chaos and havoc. There was no why. There was no sign. And it was disturbing to see that because the movie leaves you with a feeling that there's no hope against that kind of evil. That when it gets that dark, when it's that undone, when it's that degraded, when it's not connected to anything that you can kind of get your hands around and get your understanding around, it feels like there's nothing that can overwhelm that kind of thing. And that's what the movie got across. A friend of mine and I were watching that movie when it first came out. We left, we thought, we've got to go read an epistle. This is, we feel icky after this movie. Deprivation of good, that's what evil is. Sin dehumanizes. Sin dehumanizes and connects us with a deprivation of good. We're meant to be in God's image, to glorify him, to give him everything that we are, to praise him inside and out because he is good. And sin dehumanizes us and aims us towards deprivation of good. We become less and less of ourselves when we sin. But look at this. We're not sinful because we sin. We're not sinful because we sin. We sin because we're sinful. Do not exclude yourself from the community of people in need of salvation. Do not do that. Why would you need a Savior if you're not? Why would you need Jesus to come in this way if you're not? He's a light in a dark place. The land in darkness has seen a great light. We heard that this morning. All of earth, all of the nations were plunged into darkness. We are that way without him too. We need him. But it's not just sinfulness and bondage to Satan that we're delivered from. His deliverance is also holistic. His deliverance is also holistic. Salvation is a comprehensive image that embraces a number of benefits brought about through God's saving action as this baby. Healing is one of them. Modern English translations correctly bring out the sense of the word heal, but often mask the reoccurring use of the word save for the same thing. When this baby will grow up and proclaim, your faith has saved you, whether from sins or from a hemorrhage or from leprosy or from blindness, is this sense that your faith has made you whole, as Jesus has said, has saved you, is used in each case. The garrison man, delivered from a legion of demons, is now clothed in his right mind. He's been saved. Jairus is not to fear, but only believe, and his daughter will be saved from death by identifying these key events as acts of salvation. The work of the Savior. The work of the Savior. Luke invites us to view all other healings and deliverances as salvation as well. We've said again and again that Jesus didn't come to leave us as we are. He came to make us whole. 
That means that he's going to wipe every tear away. That means he's going to heal our infirmities. It might have to wait until the new heavens and new earth, but he'll do it. He rose again to show that he can. These are concrete images of Israel's end-time salvation. And Jesus said, this day in your hearing, they're fulfilled, pointing to himself. Friends, it's not the strong that saves us, but it's the weak and the feeble. The Lord is born in a manger. He came to take our place. He made himself vulnerable. He became a baby. I watched both of my children born. I was right there. Unbelievable vulnerability. And this is what the Lord compressed himself into. This is what the Lord took on for our behalf. I watched uh, The Hobbit yesterday. That's right, I watched The Hobbit. And there's there's an interesting contrast the way that salvation really works in the movie. In the beginning of the movie... You know, we know at this point, the interesting thing about prequel is that it actually just explains what you know. You know, it explains a lot about what you know. So I'm not giving anything away when at the beginning of the movie I say that Saruman's in view and Saruman is a bad guy. And you can begin to see that even at the beginning of this movie, right? And his view about how to overcome evil, Gandalf tells us, is that strength delivers from evil. Strength delivers us from evil. That was Saruman's view. But Gandalf's view was that the small and the ordinary is what saves us from evil and is what ultimately will be victorious. It's not the strong that saves us, but the weak and feeble. And the Lord shows us that in being our Savior. But he also shows us that he's Messiah and Lord. This sign that Jesus is born as a baby in the manger shows that he's, it's a sign that he's Messiah and Lord. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. It means God with us. We read earlier in the service in Isaiah 7, verses 11 and 14 say this. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Just a little further later, he says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. God with us. It's the ordinary things. In the shooting, Henry talked about a teacher, was telling me about it, one of the teachers who had her classroom of students. She knew what was going on, and she hid the students in the uh, cupboards that were under the desk of the classroom. And then she stood there alone, and when the gunman opened the door, she said, they're not here, they're in the gym. And he shot her down, and he went on. The lives of those students were saved not by strength, but by weakness and sacrifice. They couldn't save themselves. They weren't strong enough on their own. She knew that she had to stand in for them. Emmanuel with us means that God knew that there was no other way to console us. He came into our place to be our consolation. And yet the problem is, is that we don't want that sign. We don't want that sign from God. We don't want it at all. We resist the fact. We resist the sign. We resist the way that God wants to console us. You know, Isaiah 
1.3, something profound. The prophet writes this, The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know, my people do not understand. Luke's word for crib is manger in the ancient Greek translation of Isaiah. And masters is literally lords. The manger of the Lord. The donkey knows it, but not my people. My people don't know this sign. My people don't recognize this sign. John 1, 11 shows this further. He says he came to his own, and his people did not receive him. Friends, this sign is that the baby in swaddling clothes in the manger is the sovereign Lord. And this is the way that he's chosen to bring us consolation. This is the way he's chosen to give us hope. In Philippians later, we've been through Philippians, and the obedient servant who has suffered death on the cross is highly exalted and given the throne name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and that every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That name is Lord. The baby in swaddling clothes is Lord. The angels say, this day is born to you, Lord. They know that only he can do it. When they show up to announce it to the shepherds, they're saying, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the peoples. And they begin to praise him. And then they have to go back to their place. These are the heavenly armies. They're ready. They serve God. They've got their armor on. They're ready to do battle. And they have to stand there because they know that they can't. They'll follow their king anywhere, and they know that they can't follow him. They're looking at him. He became this little infant, vulnerable, alone, exposed in a manger. And these mighty warriors of God that will stand with him always couldn't go. And so they return, and you read that they go back to their place in heaven and await. They await the work of the Lord that only he could do on our behalf. Friends, I leave you with this. Jeff King, who leads worship and directs worship here, was sitting in with us at a staff meeting, and uh, he said, would you like some encouragement for your hearts? And we all all looked at him and he said, yeah, let's have that. We want encouragement for our hearts. And he wrote a quote from John Calvin. And I know that some of you are thinking, ooh, I don't know if this is going to encourage my heart or not. I've heard about this Calvin guy. Here's what Calvin wrote about this Messiah Lord, the Lord with us. And even any good that can be thought or desired is found in this Jesus Christ alone. For he humbled himself to exalt us. He made himself a slave to set us free. He became poor to enrich us. He was sold to redeem us, captive to deliver us, condemned to absolve us. He was made malediction for our benediction, oblation of sins for our justice. He was disfigured to refigure us. He died for our life in such a manner that by him harshness is softened, wrath appeased, darkness enlightened. Iniquity justified. Weakness is made strength. Affliction is consoled. Sin is impeached. Despite is despised. Dread is emboldened. 
Debt is acquitted. Labor is lightened. Sorrow turned to joy. Misfortune into fortune. Difficulty is made easy. Disorder made ordered. Division united. Ignominy is ennobled. Rebellion subjected. Threat is threatened. Ambushes are driven out. Assaults assailed. Striving is overpowered. Combat is combated. War is warred. Vengeance is avenged. Torment is tormented. Damnation damned. Abyss is thrown into the abyss. Hell is held. Death is dead. Mortality, immortality. In short, mercy has swallowed up all misery. And goodness, all wretchedness. This little baby is a sign to you. It's only in him that we have every ounce of hope that we have. It's only in him that we can be joyful as we continue to sing, as we continue to worship, as we continue to give him praise. We're standing in where we could not. Let's praise him and let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we come to you not because we come to you, but because you've come to us. Where we are hopeless, you are a hope. The feeling that deprivation of good has no antidote is a lie. And we stand against it not because of our strength, but because in your strength you were, be, you were willing to be made weak on our behalf. You were made vulnerable. And you took on our infirmity. And we have hope. And we praise your holy and matchless name because of your grace to us and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen.